Well, good morning, Victory Midtown. Good to see you this morning. Are y'all glad to be in church this morning? Come on, if you're really glad to be in church this morning, let's not go through the motions. Let's put our hands together right here for Jesus, that he allowed us to make it here safely today, and he allowed us to come into the house of the Lord together. Listen, I want to welcome each and every one of you here to Victory Midtown this morning. And as you have seen, we are in this season of Christmas gifts to the world. And so just as Pastor David said, we want to make sure that we operate in great fashion each and every year. God continues to go from glory to glory and from faith to faith as we give and are able to be a blessing to the world. Amen. 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 And so for those who are new here today, this may be your first time. You may not know some of the God momentum that has been happening here. And so I want to address the new middle congregation right now in the middle of the room. What I'm saying by that, if you're new, is that this is the first Sunday that we don't have a big riser obstructing the view of those sitting in the middle as we were able to add more seats in this sanctuary because of your generosity, because of your giving, so that we can be able to impact more people. So can you put your hands together for yourself today? Good to see y'all in the middle. Well, listen, as we jump into this message today, can you believe it's December already? And it's not just that it's December and that it's the end of the year, but it's now been 10 months that we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we look at that, it's not just about going through some scriptures and going through a message. What we're saying is that we've now spent 10 months really rehearsing and being built on what Jesus and what people would say was Jesus' most impactful sermon that he ever preached while living on this earth. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. If you've been around here, you know it. But what we know is that at the end of this year, we're literally in the last couple verses of that sermon. And Jesus tells us over and over again as he's preaching this sermon Remember the context that when he's preaching this, he's not breaking it up into Sunday after Sunday into Sunday like we're doing. He preached this in one setting. And when he got to the end, what he was saying was that if you take these words that I've just preached, if you practice them, then you will be stormproof. If you practice them, you will be able to withstand when the storm comes. Let me make it very clear. We've said it many times. He did not say if the storms come. He said, when the storms come, you'll be able to stand. And so as we look at this at the end, and our focus verses for today are at the end of this sermon, and it's kind of like he's giving us his commencement speech at the graduation of the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling us, now that I've said all these things, will you practice what I've just preached? And so as we look at this, I want to jump right into these verses in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus says this, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, somebody say yet. Yet, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now he says again in that verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Practice them will have their house built on a rock. These words that he's talking about, he's really referencing what we've spoken about the whole year. So we've gone through the whole year talking about 
in chapter 5, what it means to be blessed. We went from talking about what it means to really be blessed in God's eyes to really talking about how do we navigate our sexuality in God's way. We went from that to talking about the model of prayer. He said, when you pray, say, our Father. Understanding that this is a relational thing. This is not just something that's religious. This is relationship. Amen? We went from there talking about how do we handle God's money God's way? The money that he allows us to steward because the money that we have in our bank account, contrary to popular opinion, it's not ours. We're just stewards of it. He says, how do you handle that my way? And then we talked about how do we show up in a way that we will treat people like we say we want to be treated. The golden rule is what we talked about. And then the last series which came out of was look both ways, meaning take an inventory of what's going around you so that you know what you're getting into before you cross over into eternity. And so with all of these things, now that you've heard all of these words, he says, put them into practice. And I just want to say this because I've gotten several voice notes, I've gotten emails, I've gotten texts, I've talked to you at the door, and several of you here have said over and over again, thank you. Amen. Not just thank you, Pastor Mo, because the messages have been good, or thank you, Pastor Dennis, because you're preaching a good word, or Pastor Johnson. You've said over and over again, thank you for taking us through this journey. That's right. That's right. Because I didn't know when I started this year the storms that were going to come. I didn't know when I started this year that I was going to have to navigate some things because some of you would say that storms didn't touch you in the beginning of the year, but as you navigated, you had to weather some things. And I want to say this. If you haven't gone through a storm, hold on. There's one that's going to come. And I'm not being morbid. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm just being real. Because what we have to do is that here today, here's my charge. We have to graduate from surface level Christianity. We have to graduate from surface level Christianity that says, now when I give my life to Jesus, when I make him my Lord and Savior, now poof, every problem is gone. Now poof, all I'm going to have is wins and everything is going to be good. Yes, the Bible says all things work together for the good, but he didn't say all times would be good. And so as we look to graduate from this surface level Christianity, what we're saying is that we are combating the lie that when struggle touches my life, that's indicative of a lack of faith. We are combating the lie that says when I go through some stuff, when I'm struggling, when the enemy hits my life, that that means I don't have enough faith. I want to tell you right here that the devil is a liar. If he convinced you that just because you're going through some stuff, that's why, because you don't have enough faith, I want to say that is null and void in what God says. What God says is that the reality is that everyone, let me say it like this, everybody is going to go through a storm. But, somebody say but. He promises that when we live and we build God's way, when we build on God's word, he gives us a promise. Hear this word, that he will sustain us. That he will sustain us. And it's so important that we hear this and that we're understanding that he's going to sustain us because here's the central thought today. It's in your Virgin Bible notes. It's going to be on the, on the screen. The central thought today is that to those who build their house on him, God does not promise to spare you from the storm, but he does promise to sustain you through the storm. Can I say that one more time for those in the back or in the middle right now? 
God says when you build your house on the rock, he does not promise to spare you from the storm. But he does say, if you will keep your eyes on me, if you will build your house on me, if you won't grow weary in well-doing and not denounce me, I will sustain you through the storm. I need to stay there just for a moment because when he says I'm going to sustain you through the storm, he's saying get through hell quickly. He's saying, you're going to go through some stuff, but I need you to keep moving. I need somebody just to move your feet real quick. I know you're sitting down, but you need to practice that when some things happen, I just need to keep moving my feet because the enemy's ploy is to get you to stop. The enemy's ploy is to get you to stop, to wallow in your feelings, to start to doubt God. And God is saying, I already know all of that is going to happen. That's why I'm telling you ahead of time. To prepare because I will sustain you. Somebody say sustain. sustain. The word sustain means to support the weight of, to prop up, means to supply with sustenance. What do I mean by that? That means God is saying, I will nourish you with everything you need as you are going what? Through it. Which literally means that when you are navigating through some storms, there's going to be some times where you feel a little hangry. There's going to be some times when you feel like you don't have enough. There's going to be times when you feel like you didn't pray enough, that you didn't read the Bible enough, that you didn't go to small group enough, that you didn't come to Saturday morning prayer enough. But God is saying, I am going to prop you up and I'm going to nourish you so that you will have all the substance you need to make it. And so as we look at this, I want to pose this interrogative question to you. What if I told you that the reason that God will not spare you from the trial is because your trial has an assignment? Y'all don't like this kind of preaching. Y'all want me to say happy, happy, joy, joy. Joy to the world. If God be for me, no man can be against me. Yes, all that's true. But what if I told you that your trial has an assignment? If you think I'm not biblical, let's turn to James 1. Verse 2 says this. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. Consider it a sheer gift, my friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, under pressure, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Watch this. Let it do its work. So that you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Another version says, so that when you get through it, you lack nothing. And so he's saying your trial has an assignment. But if you try to get out of the boat too early, you will actually forfeit what he's trying to teach you, not knowing that Jesus is right there in the boat with you. Yeah, yeah. And so as we're navigating through this and as we hear this, you can only take delight in going through trials if you know what trials are supposed to produce. Let me say that one more time. I'm going to slow it down. It's still early. Some of y'all haven't had your espresso yet. You can only rejoice in trials if you are sober about what the trials want to produce in you. I need to announce to some and present to others that if you didn't know it, you're on trial. 
You are on trial. When you said yes to Jesus, when you said, I'm going to serve him with all of my days, when you said, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to come to church, it's not about just a Sunday morning gospel. You are on trial. What's the trial? To prove if you believe what you say you believe. The trial is to prove if that faith you say you have is really substantive or is it shallow. And so you will always respond. Hear this. I I talk to our staff about this. Anyone that I walk with and that I mentor, I say this all the time. You will always respond to the level of the faith that what you really have faith in. And what I mean by that is that sometimes people will say, well, you know, they'll have a, a moment or an emotional moment and something will come out. And you say, oh, I didn't mean it. No. You didn't mean to say it. But it was in your heart. Because that's coming from the foundation in which you are really founded on and in which you really believe. Hope, this word hope, write this down. Hope in the Bible is oftentimes referred to as confident trust. Many of us know this scripture. If you've been in church for any period of time, Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But let me say this, and the Lord prompted me in this even last week as Pastor Dennis was preaching. I wrote it down when he made a statement, and what the Lord said to me is that there can be no faith where there is first no hope. There can be no faith where there is first no hope. Why? Because again, in Hebrews 11, it says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. And so it's your faith in what you say you believe that sustains you through the storm. I want to just slow this down for a second. I want us to hear this. Because again, this is our commencement speech as we graduate from the school of the Sermon on the Mount. There can be no faith if you're not really putting your hope in God. And so when I talk about hope, as we announce the fact that we are going through through some things and we will go through some things, I need you to know without a shadow of a doubt that when you say yes to Jesus, your life is going to look different than the norm. I know 2 chains years ago had the famous song, I'm different. Yeah, I'm different. But in the Bible, we need to know that God says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, ones who are called out for my own special purpose. He's saying you're going to be different, which means when you live a life as a Christian, your aim should be to live life God's way. Not to live in the cultural norm of society. Not to live with popular culture, not to live with the pressure of what's going on around you, not to try to hide your faith so that people won't look at you as a weirdo, not to dumb yourself down so you act like and you entertain things that people are saying at the job and you laugh with them just to keep the peace. God is saying, are you going to be different or are you not? And so as we look at this, We need to know that when we walk by faith, when we say we have hope in God, we're not walking by what we see. We're walking by faith. When we say we're going to actually dig in the hope, this means that we don't respond to life based on how we feel. We base our lives based on what God said. And I, just like you, have to wrestle with the word of God in the things that I don't feel like doing. 
Can I just let you into my life for a moment just because I'm a preacher, just because I'm up here and my life revolves around walking in the things of God? That does not mean I don't have some arguments with the Lord. That does not mean that there are things in his word that I see that I would say, why can't I do it like this? It's because he says it's either all or nothing. You're either with me or you're against me. You're either building your house on the rock or you're building your house on sand. There's no gray area. So as we look at this, we need to continue to be reminded that as we are building our houses on the rock, it is so important because the world will test to see if you really are built on that. The world will test you to see if you really believe what you say you believe. Write this statement down. You will be tested on what you teach or you will teach what you've been tested on. Just let that sit there right there. Some of y'all are like, ah, I don't know about, oh yeah. One more time. You will be tested on what you teach or teach what you've been tested on. There are many times that I'm walking through life that things come my way and in the moment I have a choice to decide, am I going to respond based on Moe's flesh or on God's word? Did I just read the word or am I going to be a hearer and a doer of the word? And so I want to say this soberly because, again, we didn't go through 10 months, y'all. I didn't preach 10 months of sermons. We didn't take our time and navigate it and pray into this so that we can say, oh, we just heard some good messages. I need you to say this with me. Repeat after me. Say, now that I've heard the teaching. Come on, I need everybody to say it with your chest. Say it like you got three shots of espresso. Say, now that I've heard the teaching. It's time to take the test. The good news is for some of us who said, I stopped going to school because I don't like tests. The good news is, is that this is an open book test. The good news is, is that when you are a hearer and a doer of the word, you are promised that you will be sustained through this test. And so those who have conformed their lives to building on the rock, what we are saying is that we have confidence. Somebody say confidence. confidence. We can have confidence that we will be sustained in the storms of life. I was sharing with the staff and sharing with some friends earlier this week that I took some time, especially like on one of the streaming weekends. There are times when, you know, we have the opportunity to come together as a church and we are streaming from our Norcross campus. In those weekends, I tend to get a little bit more downtime to just kind of relax. Let me let you know something. For I've had somebody ask me this recently on a golf course. As a pastor, what else do you do in the week? I showed him my calendar. He was like, let me be quiet. Because there's a lot that goes on, not just sitting here, you know, coming up here on a Sunday morning, not just reading the word all week. While that's important, not just praying all week, I'm meeting with members, we're strategizing, we're getting into the community, we're developing partnerships, we're trying to see where is God leading us next. But sometimes I just want to just be. And so there was a time recently, a couple weeks ago, where it was a streaming weekend, and I found myself just kind of at the mall, just kind of sitting back, doing one of my favorite pastimes people watching. Don't act like I'm the only one that likes to people watch. I sat back and I had a little lunch and I started to sit back and people watch. And what I noticed very quickly is that it's a war zone out here. 
Because you can actually fool yourself because you're all around church, you're around church people, you're doing all these things that everybody's thinking like you. No, ma'am. And so as I sat there and I started to look, I literally could see demons overlooking people. I literally saw people walking under demonic and, and spiritual influence. I literally sat there and watched people not at peace. I saw people with depression on their face coming through their bones. I saw people walking, you know, just being those who go with the current of what's happening in the world. When you sit back and look, you see the real state of where people are, not the face that they put on for the church face. I sat there and I watched people that they came in, you know, a couple, they were arguing without saying a word. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're walking down. You're not saying anything. You just look at each other. Like, mm. And what I said in that moment is that you have to be so intentional not to be caught up in the current of culture. You have to be so intentional to make sure that you are keeping your eyes on Jesus, that while you're in the world, you're not of the world. And so as I was looking at this and as I was people watching, I said, I don't think people realize that though you might not think you're in a test every day, you're in a test every moment of your life. You're in a test each and every waking moment to see if you're going to go this way or if you're going to go that way. We talked about look both ways. Are you going to sow into hell or are you going to sow into heaven? And so today, as I say that we are all being tested each and every day, each and every moment, I want to boil down this commencement speech to, to really three general questions of what we need to ask ourselves and how we need to answer when it comes to us saying, are we going to build our house on a rock and are we going to pass the test? And so we have a tutor today. How many of you know when you read the Bible, you shouldn't just read it historically as a novel? When we read the Bible, we are actually able to go to the Old Testament many times and, and get tutoring from those who have actually passed the test of God. And so as we look at this, we're going to be talking with and hearing from a man named Daniel. Daniel and his journey is documented in the Old Testament, and we're going to learn from him because he's actually considered one of the Bible's Hall of Famers. When we look at Daniel's life, he teaches us how to thrive in a dark culture. He teaches us how to, how to really thrive in a place that's crumbling all around him when it comes to the things of God. And when we read the book of Daniel, what we see is that because of Israel's rebellion against God, that God allows the Babylonian army to invade, led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so I want you to prepare and turn to your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. When we look at this in that King Nebuchadnezzar, he was actually leading this invasion. They had a policy back then that they would kidnap the best and brightest from that territory. They would kidnap them and take them back to Babylon. And so what happens is that the king gives his official some very specific instructions about what to do with those people that he kidnaps. And let's look at what happens. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 4, it says this. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. I want you to know this was their storm. Right here, as we talk about the fact that we're all going to go through storms, this was their storm. They were kidnapped, and they were being trained in a foreign land in the ways of Babylon. 
which was a godless society. They were being trained in their language, in their culture, in their math, about what they thought about sexuality, astrology, and magic. And what they were doing is they were trying to assimilate them to the way that they did things. Does that sound familiar? And so it goes on to say, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And so as we look at this, what we see is that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are officially enrolled in the University of Babylon. So we've gone through the University of the Sermon on the Mount, but they were in the University of Babylon. And what we see here is that whether we realize it or not, we're in that same school. Whether we realize it or not, we are living in the school of Babylon. We've all been dropped in the middle of Babylon. I don't care if you moved here on purpose, because I'm not just talking about Atlanta. I'm talking about this world system, this world culture that we live in. We have been dropped in the middle of Babylon, meaning, listen to this, write this down. Babylon means wherever Jesus is not considered as king. Wherever evil wants to really profess itself as Lord. Wherever Jesus is not allowed to be king, that's where Babylon is. And it's some of our homes, it's some of our jobs, it's some of our neighborhoods, but it's definitely the culture around us. So in this University of Babylon, what we see is that we are those who have to make sure that we decide that we're going to build our house on God and be sustained by it. But let me tell you what the first test is in Babylon. The first test in Babylon is this. Are you going to live like us? Are you going to live like us? See, they're given food from the king's table. Bacon wrapped filet mignon. <laughs> Fried lobster tail. A little cabernet and pinot noir. All the trimmings they're receiving, the best of the best. But Daniel says, nope, I'm not going to eat it. Why? Because God had already told them what they're supposed to eat. He told them what not to eat. It wasn't, listen to this. It wasn't even really about the food. It was about them saying, I'm not going to take on your way of life. I'm not going to subject myself to your way of life. Let me tell you this, that the enemy will try to use subtle things to try to dumb you down. A lot of times the devil doesn't come just very, very overtly. He wants to see, like I said earlier, how many times will you allow that joke that you know is inappropriate to keep going on and you say nothing and you stay around? How many times will you allow people to curse your God and you just say, oh, that's your opinion? Now, I'm not saying get into an argument in the middle of the mall, but you should not act there and be silent and be in agreement. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that God had already told them how to eat, told them what to do. It wasn't really about the food. He said, I'm not going to live like y'all. So Daniel asked one of the officials, he says, hey, I know you're feeding us all this thing. I know you laid the spread out. You hired the private chef and all the things. But what if we can actually eat what we want to eat? And the official said, nope, I can't do that because if something happens to you, if you're too weak, the king is going to kill me. Daniel had so much confidence in the Lord, he said, let me try. 
Just, just follow me. Let me do it for 10 days. And at the end of that 10 days, if we're not healthier and stronger, now you can decide however you want us to live and we will actually do what you say do. Daniel 1 verse 15 says it like this. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. Let me tell you, they didn't have to have Botox. They didn't have to get fillers. Their skin was looking radiant. Their strength was looking strong. They were looking healthy and ready to go. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. If you're wondering, that's where we get the notion of the Daniel fast. He said vegetables and, and, and nothing unclean. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, for they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any manner requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, listen to this, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Ten times. So what we see here is that when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what God had called them to do, they disobeyed Babylon, and they weren't going to disobey God. Some of us need to have enough strength and enough faith to say, Babylon is trying to get me to do one thing, but I will not disobey God. I will disobey Babylon. But how many of you know that always doesn't come free? But what we need to know is that because they honored God, God honored them. I need to say this for somebody that came in here thinking that when you make decisions for God, when you kind of hold the standard that it's not really worth anything, I'm letting you know that you can never sow into the Lord and not receive from him an honoring place. You can never honor God and not sow into eternity and see him put the blessing of the Lord on your life. Now, let me remind you when I say that the blessing of the Lord does not mean you're not going to go through, but it means you're going to go through. And so as we look at this, this first test in Babylon is, are you going to live like us? And the answer in Babylon is, I will not compromise. I need you to repeat this after me. Say, I will not compromise. Come on, say it again. Say, I will not compromise. Say it one more time for the Holy Spirit. Say, I will not compromise. When we say we will not compromise, what we're saying is that I won't eat your food, but yet I'll be stronger. That I won't live your way, but yet I'll be more spirit-filled. I might walk poor in spirit, but I will walk taller. That yes, I will, will mourn, but yet I will rejoice. That I might walk as one who is meek in the earth, but I will inherit the earth and inherit the kingdom. I, when you actually look to divorce your wife and you're sleeping around on her, I'm going to stay with my wife and I'm going to have a happier life. I'm saying I'm not going to compromise and I will say, I won't look at porn, but my life and my sexuality with my spouse will be more passionate. Meaning that the only ceiling challenge that I'm going to look at is when I lift my eyes into the hills from which come in my help, knowing that my help comes from the Lord. Somebody say amen to that. 
What they're saying right here is that I don't ascribe to all truths, but I know the truth. When you're not compromising, you're saying, ladies, I don't show as much as my, of my body, but I will live and I will walk more confident and godly. He's saying to us that we have to be in a place where we don't compromise, that we're not going with the culture. We're saying that I don't pop pills, but my peace is for real. And so as we look at this, we can't be those who are so caught up trying to go with what the world says is success. We have to say, I will not compromise. Somebody one more time say, I will not compromise. I don't know if everybody's convinced in this room. I need to say one more time. Say, I will not compromise. Somebody say amen to that. What they're literally saying through all of this is that I might be in your system, but I'm not going to live your way. And not only am I not going to live your way, I'm going to be 10 times better. You're going to have no choice but to look at my life and say, I need what you have. See, that's one of the goals of what we are walking through. And I will say one of my goals as I preach and as I lead and as I serve, I want you to be able to live your life that when people see you, you don't have to announce that you go to church. You can show up as the church. That when people see you, they're saying there is something different about you. And you're going to say, oh, it's not something, it's someone. And his name is Jesus. And so we have to be those who stand on Jesus. Listen, everybody's talking about right now stand on business. You can stand on all types of business, but if that business is not on the solid rock of Jesus, you are going to fall each and every time. You can lift yourself up, stepping and stepping and stepping up on business, and God says, for God I live, for God I die. Jesus is the only reason that we stand on. And so then what we see here in this shift King Nebuchadnezzar, he gets a crazy idea. He builds a 90-foot-tall statue out of gold, and he calls the whole nation together in Daniel chapter 3. Let's read it. Verse 4 says this. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations. He's saying, this is for all of y'all. Nobody's opting out. People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, in modern day terms, he's saying, as soon as Doja Cat starts playing, <laughs> bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This leads to the second test in Babylon, which is this. Are you going to bow to our beliefs? Are you going to bow to our beliefs? See, the drums start playing and the beat drops and so do all the people. Everybody except for those three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow. And you know, snitching is not new. Some people snitched on them back then. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he gets extremely furious he demands that they bow, but Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, watch this, is able to save us. He will rescue us from, pow from power, your majesty. 
But listen to this. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Come on, somebody. We need some even if he doesn't Christians in this house. We need some even if he doesn't Christians here in Atlanta. We need some even if he doesn't save me. I'm going to be obedient to the things of God because I'm not wed to you. I'm wed to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so right here, they say, I won't be pressured to bow down to anyone but God. And we believe that God will save us. But if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow to your beliefs. That didn't go over too well. Nebuchadnezzar, he gets irate. He doesn't just throw them into the furnace. He says, turn up. He says, turn it up seven times hotter than it usually is. Because I want to make a point. Do you know that the world, sometimes when you stand boldly for the things of God, they will try to make a point out of a Christian. They will try to make a point out of a standard. They will try to make a point out of you. And you have to be able to say, even if he doesn't. And so he orders them to be thrown in. It was so hot, the Bible says that those who were carrying them to put them in, they got burnt up and died. I'm hearing something right there. On your way to being persecuted sometimes, God says, if you're going to stand on Jesus, if you're going to stand on me while you are walking to be persecuted, all of those things that are against you are going to start to fall off of you. All those things that try to carry you to your demise, they're going to see demise in your life. I need you to lift your hands right now. Come on. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare right now in this place that as we stand on Jesus, we will see enemies fall away at our side. As we are on our way to stand for you, God, we say that things that have been joined and tried to be put against us will come back to the sender in the name of Jesus. And I declare that we will have the fortitude, we will have the strength, and we will have the faith which is built in hope to say yes to Jesus and no to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together if you believe that. Come on, one more time. Put your hands together if you believe it. And so on their way to the furnace, going to be put in, there was a plot twist. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, it says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True. Look, he answered, I now see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. See, many theologians would say they think that's Jesus, that he showed up to protect them and make sure that they knew that they were never alone, that he would not leave them or forsake them, and he protected them. In verse 26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High. I think his tune changed a little bit. Servants of the Most High, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies, watch this, the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, for their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on them. Listen to this. There will be those who watch you go through the fire, that when you come out of the fire, they will say, you don't look like what you've been through. 
I watched you go through this thing, but you don't look like what you've been through. I got news for some of you. You are going to go through some stuff that comes with hell and high water. But if you can just hold on, that if you can stay with it. I hear Paul saying right now that your light affliction was but for a moment, but it was building a far more exceeding glory. I need someone just to stand on your feet right now and praise God that you might be going through some stuff, but people are going to look at you and say, did you really go through that? Was that just something I saw by the way, or was that really you? I'm seeing you stand up in front of me. Is that really what happened? How did you make it? What is it that got you through it? And you will be able to say, it was all Jesus. It was all Jesus. It was all Jesus. It was all Jesus. Woo! I ain't done yet. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down for a minute. We, we getting there, we getting there. Your light affliction. Is working a far more exceeding glory. They were put in the worst storm possible. Yet when they came out, they didn't look like what they've been through. Do you know? I, I know I said it already, but I need you to hear this and catch this in your spirit. It's possible to go through the fire, but the fire not burn you. And I know that's countercultural. I know it doesn't fit our natural mind, but God says, I will go past your natural mind and I will operate in supernatural. The second test in Babylon is, are you going to bow to Babylon's belief? And the answer is, I will not bow. Repeat this after me three times strong. Say, I will not bow. Come on, say, I will not bow. One more time, say, I will not bow. And so as you say that, what I know is that this is a very smart group of people that I'm standing and speaking with right now. And some of you are saying, I've never been told to bow. But how many of you know that the culture around you tells you to bow each and every day? It might not be a physical 90-foot statue that's an idol, but what about the idol of your job? That's telling you, you better show up here. You better sacrifice your family because if you don't come and get this money, I'm going to hold this over your head and, and now you're threatened to be poor. What about the idol of politics that say, if you don't choose a side, now you're going to be someone who's ostracized or, or, or you're someone who is not with it. What about the idol of the abortion movement that generally disregards the fact that the Bible says that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I sanctified you to be a prophet to the nations. What about the idolatrous idea, watch this, that sexuality and us sleeping with everybody and having open relationships and, and, and men having sex with many, many different women and thinking that's a badge or, or women giving their body for a bag. That's an idol that the world wants us to bow to. The idol of the LGBTQIA plus movement, which says to us that if you're not agreeing and approving with, with men, sleeping with men and with women, cutting off body parts to say, I'm going to act like a man. Now you're on the wrong side of history and you're a bigot and you're someone that I can't actually com compare with or relate to. They will say, if you even speak on it, you can't even try to step into it because they said, no, I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. But I need to say this very clearly. The sexual sins of a heterosexual 
are not any less weighed than the sexual sins of a homosexual. But the reality in what we do, we like to pick and choose and we try to put more weight on somebody. Some people, I'm not here, in your, not in this room, not you, but your neighbor, you sleeping around with everybody else, but yet you want to clap your hands when someone says it's someone that's operating in homosexuality. And I'm here to say that we will not bow to any of them. I'm here to say that we will lift the standard of Jesus above all things. That all sexuality will come under the blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen. If you can't say amen, say ouch. I'm standing on Jesus. I'm standing on Jesus. You can try to cancel me. You can say you hate me. But listen to this. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to love you because it's not the sin that I'm looking at and I'm casting you. It's not the sin that I'm looking at and identifying you with that. It's the sin that we're attacking to say, God, we want to be redeemed. God, all of us have something that we need to commit to the Lord. And so let us stop being a church, the big C church that tries to segment this sin over that sin. We're saying we will not bow to any of these idols. Amen? Amen. And so after D Daniel says, I will not bow, and he stands on God's truth, a new king comes to power, King Darius. And Daniel, in that moment, he is favored. What we see here is that Daniel, he was so blessed by God, he was 10 times better than everybody else. Why? Because he built his life on God. Because of that, Daniel became so distinguished that the king planned to give him power and authority over all the kingdom. Do you know that God's favor sometimes, while it's good, it will also place a target on your back? Do you know that while you get the blessings and you can celebrate all of that, that everybody's not happy that you're winning? Everybody's not happy that you're standing on Jesus. Everybody's not happy that you're starting to change. Everybody's not happy that you used to hang out with them in one way, and now you're saying, no, instead of me going out on Saturday night, staying out till 4 in the morning, I'm going to be in church on Sunday morning, so I'm going to spare myself from that trash that I've been into, and now I'm going to stand on Jesus. Everybody don't like that. And in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, it says, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Come on, Victory Midtown, listen. Let it be that we live in such a way that the only thing somebody can say bad about us is that they love Jesus too much. <laughs> Let it be known about us that because we're allowing this word to translate even into our work life, that people are not saying, you know, those Christians, they work wait late to work every day. Or they're not productive in their job. Or they don't treat people well. Let it be that the only accusation people can bring against God's people is that you just love God too much. If I'm going to go out for that, I'm okay with that. And so the haters go to King Darius and convince him of this ridiculous idea. They say, King, you need to say and make an edict that anyone who prays to anything or anyone but the king 
for a month. If they do, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. See, the king is unaware because he's not thinking. He's like, you know, that sounds like a good idea. You know, people will get caught up in themselves and forget what's really going on. Don't be caught up in flattery because a lot of times this is an announcement brought to you by Jesus Christ. It's not in my notes. Don't be caught up in flattery because sometimes flattery is setting you up from a downfall. Sometimes flattery is not always positive. Sometimes it's someone just kind of buttering you up so they can burn you in the fire. He didn't know they were trying to set him up and trying to trap Daniel. And so he thinks it's a great idea. He said, okay, run it. The third test in Babylon is, are you going to shrink back from God when life gets hard? Daniel 6.10 says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Listen to this. Just as he had done before. Listen, when Daniel learned that anyone that, to, that prayed to anything besides King Darius would be executed, he changed nothing. As a matter of fact, he leaned in. He said, I'm going to do more. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. He says, I always prayed three times a day. I prayed when things were good. And I'm going to pray three times a day and keep praying when things go bad. And so he could have taken a month off. He could have said, let me chill on the Jesus talk or on the God talk. But no, he remained the same person, listen, regardless of the storms. And so the haters, again, they report him. And King Darius right there, he had to reluctantly go with his word. And he had to get him thrown into the lion's den, into the pit of hungry lions. Now, the next morning, the Bible says that the king rushes to the lion den and calls out to Daniel, trying to see if he had made it. And Daniel, he yells out from the bottom of that pit, Ayo! <laughs> Daniel said in chapter 6, verse 22, my God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. It goes on to say, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Watch this, because he had trusted in his God. Family, I'm here to let you know today that our job is not to stand and bow to all the things that the world says. Our job is to what? Stand on Jesus. Meaning that when we look around, when we build our life on Jesus, we are going to look different. It's going to be different. Why? Because you're not one of them. I need to say that for someone. You're on your job, you're in your community, and you've been hearing this looming over you. They're saying, well, we're not going to invite you into our club because you're not one of them. You say, yep. I'm God's child. And if he is for me, no one can be against me. The third test in Babylon is, are you going to shrink back from God when life gets hard? And the answer is, I will stand for Jesus no matter what. Here's what I want to say today. Every single one of us, we're going to be tested. We're going to be tested to leave God when it gets hard. But remember what we've been saying. It's not if the storm comes. It's when the storms come. Remember, the Bible does not say, I will take you to the valley of death. He says, I will take you through the valley of death. 
God does not spare these Hebrew boys from the fiery furnace. He sustains them in the furnace. God does not spare Daniel from the lion's den. He sustains Daniel in the lion's den. And I'm here to let you know that God is not promising. Contrary to what you may have heard at Grandmama's church years ago, God is not going to spare you from the storms. But he promises you that he will sustain you in the storm. What our cry has to be is that I will not compromise. I will not bow. And I will not shrink back when things get hard. It's because my life is built on Jesus. Can you stand up on your feet right now? We're standing on Jesus. We're standing on Jesus. We're standing on Jesus. We're standing on Jesus. There's a popular song that you hear us sing that Christ is our firm foundation, and we're going to just leave here singing that because I believe someone needs to know that when they leave here today that you're going to be tested with some things, but God is saying, my life, your life has to be built on him. And so I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. I want to pray for those in the room right now that may be saying, I've never come into a relationship with Jesus, so how can I stand on him? If that's you in the room and you want to give your life to Jesus today, just throw your hand up to me right now. I want to pray with you. Just throw your hand up to me. Hallelujah. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, we believe you are the son of God. We believe you died on the cross for us. Today I repent, which means I'm turning away from my way of doing things. Come on, I'm turning away from the world's way of doing things, and I'm going to follow you. Today, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. From this day on, I declare that I'm a child of God. I will follow the narrow way, and I will walk according to your word each and every day. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over each and every one of us right now that we are building our lives on the solid rock, that we have not gone through a whole year of the Sermon on the Mount to go back and acquiesce to the world. But Father, I pray right now for strength to you right now. I pray, pray right now for fervency to you right now. I pray right now for perseverance to you right now. I pray right now for stick to itness right now. I pray for you for holy boldness right now, that you will walk out and people will look at you and say, there must be something different about you. And you will say, I am standing on Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's worship the Lord. Our house is built on him.